Uh, welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. The laborers in the vineyard, it's one of my favorite parables. We're going to get started after we pray. Lord, thank you for our opportunity this morning to come and be fed or encouraged or healed or whatever it is, Lord. And we thank you that for different people, it happens in different ways. For some, it is the singing. For some, it's the friendly face and the conversation. Uh, for others, it's the scripture. Whatever it is, Lord, serving, giving. Pray, Lord, that you would meet each of us this morning and help us to have an experience with you that provides what we need for our day, for our week, that we might be more like what you've called us to be. Uh, so I pray, Lord, uh, for this parable and what it teaches us, that it might uh, encourage us, spur us on. And so we ask your blessing over this passage and this time in your son Jesus' name. And Rock Bible Church Second Service said, Amen. 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 I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I just love Second Service. Don't tell first. I love them too. But second service is, there's something special about you guys. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus has been teaching uh, and he's going to continue to teach. He's with the disciples um, and it's kind of interesting what he's been covering and he's going to cover some things uh, today that kind of point back to next to last week and absolutely point towards next week. Uh, two little things are, we're going to cover today, the parable of the vineyard, uh, and then there's a little statement, that, a little prediction Jesus makes, uh, more of a promise or even a, a mini covenant, uh, and it's kind of weird why it follows right after the parable, but I'm, we're going to time together and understand why uh, before you leave here this morning. So, if you will, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, Jesus is speaking, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. Uh, let's... Let's have a little fun. Let's, let's assign some roles. We're telling a parable. We're going to teach a concept through analogy. And we got to figure out who the master of the house is. Now, I personally, I love being the master of the house. Control, influence, decision making. It appeals to everything that is me. Any guesses as to whether I'm master of the house in this parable? Yeah, no, this is just not going to work, right? Never does, by the way. Uh, any guesses as to whether you're master of the house? There could be, at times, other parables where you might be referred to as the top person in the parable. doesn't happen very often. So it's a safe guess. You're not master of the house. We're at church. It's Sunday morning. I'm about to ask a question. All right? Now I've set you up. Who do you think master of the house is? God, thank you. That response, first time, was louder than the first three attempts first service. <laughs> three people answered the first time I asked it in first service. I had to chastise them. It, was, it got ugly. Uh, so we're master of the house who went out early in the morning, and now I know it's not me. And watch this. To do what? To hire laborers. Could have said a lot of things there. Could have said to pick a team. Uh, high school soccer started this week. 
I've work, been working this last week and this next week to pick a team. Is that different than hiring laborers? Yes. yes. Uh, is it different than accepting students? Right? Uh, choosing a spouse? Okay. It's very different. For those of you who are confused, hiring a laborer is not getting a spouse. They're not the same. Okay. Yeah, that's why that's, you have kids. That's good, Alicia. I like that. I'm going to use that uh, third service. Um, hiring laborers is even different than uh, finding a business partner or choosing a vendor, right? Hiring labor sends a very specific feel. And you think about it, uh, Jesus is telling a story. He can use, in, in an analogy, he can use any relationship or paint any picture he wants. Here, you're not a teammate. You're not a family member. You're not a business partner. You have a boss. And what's your role? To work. A very interesting. He considers us workers. Now, there's going to be some other things implied in this uh, analogy that we're going to get to in just a minute. But he's looking for workers for his vineyard. Not the vineyard, but it belongs to him. Uh, now we're pretty sure that it's got to be God who is the master of the house because he owns the vineyard. None of us get to claim ownership, control, right, influence over the whole. So it's got to be God. Verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarii a day, what just happened right there? In one sentence, we've just skipped over the whole contract negotiations, right? We, we never, we didn't see any counteroffers or objections or details or worked out. We didn't see to read the fine print. It just... You're going to work for the day. I'm going to give you a denario. I'm going to be the boss. You're going to be the worker. That's it. Uh, and second word, agreeing. They've agreed to this contract. They've agreed to the terms of this deal. So after the comma, he sent them into the vineyard. Time to go to work. Early in the day, remember? Verse three, and going out about the third hour, how long have we been working? Okay, good. That's a theme. It's going to continue, and then it's going to abruptly change, and we're going to find out why. After agreeing with them, he sent them into labor. After the third hour, he saw others standing in the marketplace. What I leave out? Why did Matthew put idle? Why did Jesus say idle? Why is that in there? It's to draw attention to what? Not working. All right, we're catching it. Laborers, work hire, idle. They're in the marketplace and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is fair, I will give you. Is that what it says? Whatever is right. It doesn't even say good. Whatever's good, I will pay. It says whatever's right. Now, if you're teenage Scott, you really don't like this. Why? Because you're still trying to disprove dad that fair does not exist in this dojo. Does it, sensei? <laughs> Just mix my dad with the karate kid. 
right? Fair doesn't exist. And I spent the majority of my teenage years up until I was legal to vote or go to war trying to figure out, ah, no, fair has to exist. Because my understanding of how the world should work, that's funny, by the way, is that fair needs to exist. And if it's not fair, it's not right. What needed to change? God or my thinking? Don't say both this time. <laughs> right? I had to change my thinking. Because fair and right can be different. Fair and right are most often different. Right and good may not be the same. Or they may be. But I think it's fascinating they use the word, what's right here, I will give you. Another contract negotiation. They accept, they go out, they went out. Verse five. And going out again the sixth hour, how many hours now has passed since the first three? Since the first three. Dan? Three and from six is three. It's the sixth hour, but it's only been three more. Got to follow the theme because otherwise we're going to get messed up, right? In three more words, we're going to get messed up. And the ninth. He's going out how many hours? Every Every three hours, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, what just happened? We went to two. Does God change? Is God bad at math? No, he's specifically pointing something out in order to zing you. Okay, here it comes. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing or idle, not working. He said to them, why do you stand here? What, what's the word? All day. There's been 11 hours of work. What have you been doing? Nothing. No problem. I'm going to offer you a deal anyways. They said, verse 7, because no one has what? He said to them, go into the vineyard too also. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. Let's step out of the analogy for a second. Let me ask the question, does God pay wages? This is implied, Jesus is saying, the parable, straight from his mouth, the master of the house pays wages. Interesting. Do you know what that is? I don't. I'm curious. In the spiritual realm, for God to pay wages to his workers, I really want to know what that means, ultimately. What a great idea for when we get to heaven. God, what were you talking about? But let me tell you this. Long before I get to heaven, I want to know what this means spiritually. What does it mean, long before I get to heaven, that he's paying wages for those that work for him? I'm super curious about that. Now, I want to know who wins the Super Bowl this year. Do you know how? It won't be the Raiders. <laughs> the Niners third screen quarterback showed us that Thursday night, right? It, yeah, that was hilarious for you? I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Vegas. 
as much as I want to know who's going to win the Super Bowl, it, it does not compare at all to how much I want to know this. What is this deal? What is this exchange thing going on between God and his workers? I have three kids. I want to know who their spouses are going to be. I think. I'm not sure. You know? How will that go? What a great mystery and adventure. More than that, I want to know what this means. Because this is going to affect much more than any sport anyone could play and much more than any relationship anybody could have, even matrimony. That God pays wages to those at the end of the day. Call the laborers, pay them their wages, begin with the last up to the first. 11th hour people are coming in first to get paid. When those hired 11th hour came, each of them received a denarii. And now you're 13-year-old Scott and you're upset because why? It's not fair. Thank you, Iris. It's not fair. It makes no sense to me. Because I had a job when I was very young in the summer working at the machine shop. And do you know what they paid me? By the hour. If you only worked for a little while, you only got paid a little while. Right? If you worked a whole day, we had 10-hour shifts. Start at 6, off at 4.30. Brutal when you're a teenager. But you get a lot more money when you work 10 hours than when you work just a couple hours. So this makes me start to question is there something wrong with God or is there something wrong with me I hate both those questions <laughs> right those hired about the 11th hour they get a narrate verse 10 and when those hired first came they thought they would receive more why because that would be fair fairer which is even worse that really doesn't exist right they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarii. And on receiving it, they rejoiced because the master of the house had kept the deal. Is that what it says? It says they grumbled. Now, remember I said we we're going to sign roles. We said master of the house, can't be me, can't be you, must be God. Who are the hired laborers in the vineyard, folks? Ouch. We're the grumblers, the discontents, or I like to say even better, it's much more fun, the malcontents. This is so much worse. What did they say? These last worked only what? And now we know. Why the 11th hour instead of the 12th hour? Came in the 11th hour because there was only one hour left in the workday, which makes a workday how many hours, folks? 12. Really? Because I thought a workday was eight hours. No worries, we only have to work five days a week, right? 12 hours a day, five days a week? No, do you know in the Bible it says, let each one work six hour, or six days a week and on the seventh day rest? Woo. Are you guys getting off easy at work? Better question. Do you grumble at work? Do you know that you're capable of working 12 hours a day, six days a week? 
because that is the way God has designed you. And here's why you can't do it. You're not used to it. But if you tried it for a while, you'd be just fine. Why? Because people will rise to the level of what they practice. Very close to the famous phrase from Edward James Olmos in the movie Stand and Deliver about the calculus students from Compton where he says students will rise to the level that is expected of them. Is that a theological statement, folks? Can we rise to the level that God expects of us? Him being the ultimate teacher, ultimate boss? Absolutely. 12-hour workday, and they said, he, they worked only one hour, and you have made them, what's the word? You have made them fair to us. You have made them equal. Boy, is that not good. But let me ask you this. What have these, we'll call them secular minds, noticed about God, the master of the house, and his value system? All workers, all laborers, all those hired are considered what? Equal. I would like to introduce to you to the new definition of fair. God calls that fair. And he calls it right. He says, this is what we're doing. And I'm glad you finally figured it out. I'm disappointed that you're malcontent and grumbling. But this is how it works. We're doing equal for everybody. Praise God. No, no matter how smart or lacking, capable or lacking, experienced or lacking, God's doing equal all the time. We're going to come back to that later, okay? Uh, you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Scorching, huh? You couldn't just say, and the heat of the day? No, you had to say scorching which ones are we again? We're the laborers. We're the grumpies. But he replied to one of them, you fool. No. no? Oh, so we do have an argument for Gandalf is not the true representation of God in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so many things he could have said to the grumpy, malcontent, entitled Christians, friend, I'm doing you no wrong and isn't in there the rub to feel like somehow you've been wronged. No, did God come through in his deal? Yeah, you work, in the, you work I'll pay you, it's good. Did you not agree with me for a denarii? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And I love that phrase because now we, we have confirmed what we call the secular mind's observation about who God is and what's important to him because now from the mouth of the master of the house, he says, I give to you as I give to them or I give to them as I give to you, implying what's the word starts with E and ends with all equal. We're doing equal. That's what I call good. That's what I call right. That's what I call fair. And then verse 15, one of, one of the greatest concepts for me to learn. 
am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Mm, Folks, this changed my life. Because until you figure out this concept, most of the other concepts would be lost on you. Is he allowed to do what he wants with what belongs to him? Absolutely. Are we still in analogy or are we talking about life now? Can God do whatever he wants with whatever belongs to him? And folks, what belongs to him? Everything, all of it, each and every. For how long? Since when? All right, there's a fun word. Starts with B and ends with ing. Since the beginning. When I started to figure out what this meant, that God owns, created, purposes, all things. And then I, I saw this phrase in this parable that he gets to do whatever he wants with what is his. I was in student ministry at the time and I developed this little phrase, almost a jingle, except for I never put it to music. And I love to use it to explain to students, those that would grumble and try to argue and oh really, well how far is too far and you're asking the wrong question and uh, on and on. And by the way, um, we're all just an older youth group, right? Because we're all just kids at heart. I mean, compared to God, we're kids. And, and I want to be a kid when I grow up. I should say this. God gets to do whatever he wants. Whenever he wants. As long as he wants. With whatever he wants. To whomever he wants. Without end. No, youth group didn't like that very much. Why? because it meant their thinking had to change. Just like my thinking had to change, just like the grudging workers thinking needed to change. Hence why Jesus has to tell this story and Matthew decides to write it down through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Have I done you wrong? No, I haven't. Did I give you a denarii? Yes, I did. I get to do with what I want with with what belongs to me. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Boy, that sends, that question hurts. Are you begrudging? Folks, that's not the part of the question that hurts for me. Because I know the begrudging, right? Because it said they grumbled already. That's not in question. What I have a problem is generosity? What generosity? Where did you see generosity? Wait, didn't they make a deal? Yeah, you work. For the whole day, you get a denarii. Isn't that the deal? Did he fulfill the deal? Then where's the generosity? There's no generosity. Did, did he get a denarii plus 10%? Did he get two denarii? Did he get time off? Did he get a stop before the other? No. Did he get a complimentary cuckoo watch with him? <laughs> no. There's no generosity. Or is there? Now, We've got to ask two questions now. The one is, it's, it's idiotic. Is God misrepresenting something when he says generosity? No, we would never question, ever. 
Does God misrepresent? Second question is our only question then. What did Jesus mean when he said he's been generous to us? Where's the generosity? We have to find it in the analogy. Do you know? The employers in the room know where the generosity is. You see, these men, these women, these laborers were standing idle in the marketplace. Where are they now? They're working. Where's the generosity? You got a job. You made it on staff. You got a deal. You're just upset about the deal. The reality is you got a great deal. You're working for pay for the boss rather than standing idle in the marketplace. Therefore, look at the top of your outline. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. The title, The Terms of a Great Deal, a Generous Deal. And yet, because we're human, we turn towards envy, selfish, begrudging, he says, why are you doing that? And then he finishes verse 16 with the same phrase he finishes chapter 18 with. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Why does he tell us that a second time? Because we need to learn it. That's the simplest answer. Okay, first answer. Let's move on to the next thought. Why do we need to learn it? That the last will be first and the first will be last. Because God's doing equal now. Are we keeping score? A couple weeks ago, said you to value people regardless of their score. I implied that we're keeping score. He says that we're equal. So God must be keeping score. Why? He's saying last and first and first and last. Now this makes sense to a competitive red-blooded, type A, middle-aged. I know that's a little bit generous for me, but that's okay. That makes sense to me that we're keeping score. But watch what God does with keeping score. In the very end, we're all going to be, what's the word, E and L? We're all going to be equal. Now, remember, middle-aged, Red-blooded, competitive, type A, blah, blah, blah. What is the worst score on the planet for that guy? Average, or somebody said it. Tie. It could be zero, zero, but what's five to five? It's just as bad. In fact, you did a bunch of work and you were successful five times, but you also failed five times. And at the end of the game, where's my sister? What's the reference? Tying a game is like kissing your sister, right? They're trying to make some comparison to like romantic kissing. And it's like, no, because you don't romantically kiss your sister. And so you're kind of kissing her, but it's not romantic. And so you're just showing a little bit of affection, but it's like there's no win or loss. I tell you what, I love my sister. I, I, I'd rather give her a, a kiss on the cheek and show her a little affection that she's valuable than I would tie a game. 
Because what does tying do? Doesn't change the standings at all. Nobody wins, nobody loses. What has God just done to scorekeeping? He's, he's eliminated it without eliminating it. We're still keeping score, but at the very end, if you thought you were winning and you thought you were first and you thought you were going to carry the trophy or whatever, you're going to find out that you're equal to every, you are the definition of average. Oh, what does that do to the first place person? It's crushing. What about the people who've been losing and their body doesn't function the way it should and their IQ is not where maybe it could be and they're not pulling in the same paycheck that others, they don't have the experience, they haven't traveled as much. Those people that feel like they're coming behind their whole life and they get to the very end, they find out that they made equal. They thought they were last and now if everybody's equal, then are they first? What a brilliant thing for God to do with scorekeeping. Do we scorekeep or do we not? It's both. We are keeping score, but at the end, he says, no matter what, it's going to be a tie. So you're going to have to now what? Change your thinking. Change your priorities. How do you view coworkers? How do you view God? And what is our purpose again if we're not all just trying to win anymore? He's forced us to move on to something else. And he's called that something else. They just, someone just said it. It's work. We're working at something else. That's the new deal. That's the excitement of the mystery moving forward. But we still need to work on this deal. The terms of this great deal, generous deal, right? Matthew's going to change gears because Jesus changed gears. All of a sudden, he's going to go into some little prophecy. He's on his way up to Jerusalem. How do I know that? Because verse 17. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. Wouldn't it be better if, I said, if he said, uh, We're going to Jerusalem, and when we get there, I'm going to have a meeting with the chief priests and the scribes. Wouldn't that sound better? It implies something much different, wouldn't it? Hey, first thing when we get there, chief priest, scribes, us, we're going to have a party. Very different implication. Why do you say delivered over? So they knew. Not full detail, but they knew what? General feel, positive or negative? Negative, okay? And they will condemn him, positive or negative? To death, positive or negative? And deliver him over, positive or negative, to the Gentiles. Trick, positive or negative? Somebody say the word we were saying earlier, equal, right? But what are they going to do? He's going to be mocked, positive or negative. He's going to be flogged, crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Finally, positive or negative? How do you know? Have you ever been raised from the dead? Have you ever come out of anesthesia? It's one of the worst experiences of my life. It might not feel good. What a bum deal for Jesus if it's painful dying and it's painful coming back to life from death. Why tell this story? We just did laborers in the vineyard. Everybody gets in, right? By the way, we were assigning roles. God was master of the house. We're the hired laborers. What's denarii? 
a day's wage, which represents what? In the analogy, God's owner, we're the workers. What does everybody get equally from God? Salvation, right? That's, what we're, that's the story we're telling. Now you're gonna tell me we're going up to Jerusalem and it's all over. You're gonna get mocked, crucified, killed, and then raised on the third day? Oh, it's gonna look like you were last, but in the end, you're gonna be first. And those that thought they had beat you and won, looks like they were first. Three days later, they're gonna be last. There's that meaning in telling this story and there's a whole nother meaning. What's Jesus' deal? What's his side of it? In this great deal that we get, that look any fun? Hey, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. If we're going to figure out the terms of this great deal, I got to convince you that it's a great deal first. Then we'll work on the terms. And to convince you that it's a great deal, number one, congratulations. You were hired. You got a deal. You got a great deal. You get salvation. You get to work for the boss. You get to work on what he's working on. You might not even know what that is yet. Had no idea what I was getting myself into. But can you tell I'm having fun? You better be, or your eyes are closed and your ears are blocked. See, we're having, a, we're having a great experience unless we're trying to figure out whether it's fair. Did you get as much as Joe and Jenny? Doesn't work. Everyone gets what everyone gets. And God gets to do what he wants with what belongs to him. And he's decided that you belong to him. That's what we're supposed to focus on. But we have trouble with it because we're human. Ready? I'm going to show you why you have trouble with it. Ready? By the way, which of the workers are you? Remember there was the early in the morning, went out, hired the people. Three hours later, went out, hired some people. Three hours later, sixth hour, ninth hour. And then what was the last one? Eleventh hour. Which worker do you consider yourself? Which one are you? Are you the sixth hour? I've kind of been working half the time, half my life. I've been working a long time, You like third hour. He came and got you, and boy, you've been at it for, I've been at it for a longer time than Joe and Jenny, so I appreciate your comment about being equal to them, but I put in more time. My denarii is going to be worth more. Maybe you think you were the beginning of the day person. You're not. You're not any of those. Do you know who you are? You see, when you think you're the beginning of the day person or the third hour, maybe even the sixth hour person, it's easy for you to grumble. It's easy for you to be begrudging. It's easy for you to compare, judge, seek control, power hungry. That's what gets you in trouble. 
But if you believe that you're an 11th hour denarii earner, change your perspective. You're happy to get in. You are going to work for an hour for sure, aren't you? Folks, let's just raise the tension between you and me for a little bit. I got called a long time ago. And I think I'm an 11th hour worker. I think I barely got in. If any of you thinks that I've done a lot, wipe that off the slate. 99% of what I planned didn't go the way I planned it. Amen and praise the Lord. I'm barely getting in. And I want to work as much as I can. But I start thinking about people who have been working at it longer. Or how about, how about women that, were, that joined the labor force 2,000 years ago? They started at the beginning. Didn't they? There's not, we're not just looking at our own lifetime and our own area or just our own church, folks. We are 11th hour. That's the way we're meant to see ourselves. We are never meant to see ourselves at the very beginning. Good news, though. You start thinking about yourself as the 11th hour of the last people, then you're going to end up in first. You see, when you're an 11th hour person, what happens to your coworker? Your coworker gets a good deal How'd you know that? I do like small words. <laughs> a big words, syllables and consonants, and I, I'm not even dyslexic, and I don't like big words. They get a great, do to, great deal, too, or as well. Why is that important? It changes our perspective, our thinking on who they are. If you're an 11th hour person, then the team that you work on is going to do better. The family you live in is going to do better. The church you go to is going to do better. If you're a, I've been here for a while and I put in my dues kind of person, your team's not going to keep you very long. Your family's going to avoid you and you need to go find a different church. Because I've seen the church abuse too many people in my time, and I won't stand for it. And I actually would have, rather have you not even find another church. Go find yourself a counselor and work on yourself. And when you're healthy and ready, then you go back and engage. Not totally sure I believe that one either, because I feel like you could get that help in the church. So that one messes with me a little bit. But you can tell I got a little energy about the church beating up the coworkers, complaining about the coworkers. And I see it in families more often than I ever thought I would. Uh, praise be to God for being a pastor, I think. And it's amazing to me what I feel like I understand about being an employer and an employee since starting to run a church. It's just learning how to value other people, not just yourself. Two days ago was November 2nd. It was the nine-year anniversary of 21 people sitting in Jan Ash's living room signing a document. Today we begin Rock Bible Church 
a ministry of the Tri-Valley area. I got the wording memorized. It's on a framed piece of paper in my office, and I'm not going to show it to you until we get to the 10-year anniversary. But you know what? You know what went in early in the day before November 2nd? You know what went into that work? You know what happened after November 2nd in the early life of us trying to become a church? There's so much other stuff that went on. Do you know Jack Roberts? Sat with me for a year. Every other week maybe. At Pete's Coffee, because that's where Jesus would meet. (laughs) Coaching, correcting, challenging. And that's just the C words of how do we get to a place where we start a church? Launching October 10th, 2010. Jack there. And then a couple months later, Jack calls me on the phone. Hey, after our associational meeting, I want to you know, go out to lunch. I got an idea. You've got a church with people and no building. I got a church with a building and no people. I think y'all should date. <laughs> got all excited. We started working on this, met the eight ladies that were running the place. And we started negotiating. How are we going to do this? There's bylaws and state of California requirements and all this kind of stuff. And we we had to get an attorney. I love the attorney, by the way. Because he pointed something out. What's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? So we're going to merge these two things. But when you're done, what are you going to end up? Well, we're going to have one church, one property, the whole thing. He said, well, then don't merge. He's like, whoa, you're messing up this whole deal. He said, no, no, no. You're going to take over. You assign everything over from the old entity and have it become the new entity, and then you're going to shut everything down in the old entity. I said, "Well, why would we do that? I mean, we're just we're not valuing the old entity." He says, "No, what we're doing is we're valuing the the future entity." I said, "But I don't know how the eight ladies are going to feel about that." I said, "Well, what's important to the eight ladies? Where they're going to be? Are you planning on keeping them in the church?" You let them be important. You're going to honor them. Are they going to be part of your congregation? Well, absolutely. He said, well, then it'd be in their best interest to value the future entity, not the one that used to be. The weirdest thing, I didn't know what to say. Can you present it to them? Can you present it to Jack? Can Jack present it to them? I'm not walking in and saying that. You know what the eight lady said? We value our coworkers. We want a great deal for them too. Where do we sign? It said two things, two requirements. One, it has to stay a church. Remember that, Judy? Such a hard negotiator. <laughs> then she came, then, then, then they came out, Velma was there too. Came back with second request. 10.30 every Wednesday morning in the Fellowship Hall, we want to keep our women's Bible study. Man, you guys draw a hard bargain. <laughs> Come on Wednesday, they're still out there. You see, we had to value our coworkers and they had to value their future coworkers. It's about understanding we're all 11th hour people. And then what are we willing to do to sacrifice for other people? It was a lot of work. 
Praise God for you too. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lastly, how do you recognize that the terms of your deal are great? You remember that your deal is better than Jesus got. Jesus gets a much worse deal from a human perspective, right? Remember? Beating, flogged, mocked, crucified. He goes to the cross. Was the first made last? So that those of us who are the last could be made first. He teaches something to us. He commands us something. And then he goes out and he exemplifies it. Now you know why he said, as soon as that parable was over, he said, and by the way, we're going to Jerusalem so I can prove it to you that the last will be first and the first will be last and that I value my coworkers. People forget he got a raw deal. I mean, let's think about it. At the end of crucifixion and being raised, he sits at the right hand of the father, but then you know what he gets? A bunch of grumbling laborers in the vineyard. That he's got to constantly work after. You know, folks, there's a holiday coming up that we're going to celebrate. I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. Costco's not talking about Thanksgiving. They already got their Christmas paper out. And at Christmas, we put lights, we wrap stuff, and we do that whole thing and gift giving, the whole deal. The one thing about Christmas that feels like it always gets overlooked every single year is the sacrifice that Jesus made to come be a baby. Oh, no, I thought the sacrifice was at Easter. We do celebrate the sacrifice at Easter. Yeah, but what about the sacrifice of being first, being God in, in all of its entirety and, and coming down being in human form for 33 years? Makes sense then why the scripture would say, oh Lord, how long must I deal with this wicked and evil generation? What he had to put up with. Folks, you got a much better deal than Jesus did. And he said, I'm gonna honor the deal. I'm gonna be generous. I'm gonna be equal. So that you can have what you have. That's why we're here, folks. And we are lucky to be here because of Jack Roberts. I told you that story, right? Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Roberts. I asked Jack to be here today. Uh, One, to exemplify what we talked about, but because uh, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for Jack. Amen. Some of you here this summer, he preached for us. He preaches for us regularly. And so some of you recognize him, but I want to make sure everybody hears as long as we can for as long as possible. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jack. He coached me for a year before we even had that uh, November 2nd meeting. Uh, he coached me for another year or so, not 11 months, till we launched on the 10th of October in 2010. And he's been coaching me for over eight years since. I still meet with him at least once a month, even if it's just for an associational meeting. Uh, Jack had had planted over 30 churches at that point and decided, why not do another one? Because it was so easy. (laughs) And this is the kind of work that Jack has been doing. And we need to start thinking about all our coworkers like they're Jack. 
reason he's here today, though, is because this last week, Jack celebrated 15 years as the director of missions for the Contra Costa and Alameda counties. We call it Costa Meda Association of the Southern Baptist Convention in the California State Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> We're going to add some more titles to it later <laughs> when we make it up, okay? But you've been doing this kind of stuff for uh, our association, not just us, for a decade and a half. And we're so appreciative. So you know, as a church, we have not publicized this ever before today, but we sent a little gift through our, from our church to the associate on behalf of, behalf of Jack for Jack because of his 15 years of service. And so that's what you guys did for him. And, and it wasn't small. But Jack, your wife is amazing. I might like her more than you. She's a hard worker, she's she cooperative, and she's compassionate and generous and the whole thing. And if it weren't for the two of you, I, I don't know what our two counties would look like when it comes to churches. And so thank you for all your work. So I want to pray for you in a minute to close, but I first want to give you a little mic time and share anything you'd like to share, and then, uh, and then you can start us in closing prayer. Well, I want to thank you so much. It was such a privilege to be part of this this church start and, and other than Judy and Fenn, I don't think most of you have a clue the way God had to work because it took uh, two interim pastors to be at two different times as interim pastor to get us to the point where God wanted us so that we could form Rock Bible Church. Uh, before I even knew you, I was working with them on what to do. And, and so that was such a privilege to see. You, you come and you think about the times that I came and preached here, and there were 12 people, 15 people, and then to come today and to see two services the size we, we've seen today, it just blesses my heart. Uh, I want to say two things, though, about Scott. Well, let me say three. The first thing is... Oh. The first thing is, if I could clone, if I could clone Scott and about two other church planters, we would have planted a lot more successful churches. Because uh, church planters, uh, there's so many people that want to plant a church, but what they really want to do is pastor a church. They don't understand all the job there is in planting. And uh, I, I've had, in, out of those thirty-something churches over the last. 15 years, uh, I've had three planners I would just love to clone, and Scott is one of them, and I want you to know that, if we just could, could do more of that. Uh, the other thing I want to mention, Scott, is we had a deal at the association office on my 10th anniversary, and Scott spoke there, and he mentioned the first day he met me at Pete's, and he said, he said, when that old man came in, I didn't know what on earth he could teach me about church planning. Now, he went on to say nice things about me. You do realize you're older than I was that day, don't you? <laughs> you you're just a touch older than I was that day. Not much, but just a little bit. Okay. And then he, he talked about all the, the coaching 
You know, coaching is so silly sometimes and so good sometimes. But I'm going to tell you one of the silly times. He was playing the big event for the day you moved in here. And, and you're going to have dinner and you're going to have all this stuff. And he's talking about the bouncy house and the barbecue and everything that's going to happen to celebrate moving into the new building. And I listened and I went off the checklist and I said, well, Scott, there's one thing missing. He said, what? I said, is everybody going to have to stand up the whole time? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you haven't mentioned where the chairs to, to sit on are going to come from. I said, most of the people that are eating barbecue are going to want to sit down. And Scott said, well, I was just thinking about the fellowship hall. And I said, yeah, and there are about 20 chairs in the fellowship hall, and you're hoping to have two or 300 people. Now, I share that because a lot of times the problems that you have in church life are big. Other times they're small. The greatest thing about Scott and these other two planners I mentioned is they were willing to be taught. That's what, Scott will still ask me things that he wants to know about. Even though now he could coach almost any church planner. But he still asks me about things. I have tried to work with so many men who just didn't really want to be taught. That's a trait you need too, every one of you, is to be able to still be taught, even if you're old now. Okay. <laughs> now you hold, I got, can, I, can I just say, it, it's such a good thing that we're friends. Yes, it is. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine if we didn't like each other? That's right. Woo! Uh, well, Jack, uh, I just I appreciate you and your work so much in, in our area and uh, wanted to make sure we had an opportunity to, to honor you today. Association had a meeting this week where we honored and a bunch of people stood up and said a lot of nice things. It was a lot of slobbering. It was good, though. Yeah, sure. You deserve it, and uh, you and your wife and your whole family, Thanks. right, Sherry and, and all of them, yes. right? Uh, so pray for us, and then I'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, such a privilege to be here today and see how this church is alive, living, being guided by you, Lord. How Scott is willing to listen to what you tell him to do for this church and this community. I thank you for all you have blessed this church with this morning, Lord. But I pray that this church will never be contented that they'll always understand their laborers and that the work and the field is still so ready to harvest and we need to be the laborers who are willing to go out and then train more laborers, Lord. That we would let the, the community around us know that Jesus truly loved them and gave his life for them. I pray that you would bless this church and it would bless your name by working for you. In your name, Lord, I pray. And Father, we thank you for Jack and Becky and for their commitment to you and their commitment to this area. Lord, we thank you that they were willing to leave Georgia, willing to leave Texas, uh, left effective, growing, vibrant ministries with a great track record and decided, why don't we go out to California? help that lost area. 
And we've been so blessed in both of our counties. And not just our church, but so many other churches. So many other pastors and men and women who benefited from their leadership. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them for their faithfulness to you and that you would continue to put men and women in their lives that could use coaching, use direction. And Lord, that you would give him the energy to continue to help us plant more churches. And Lord, I think of the two, two churches right now that are working on planting, maybe even three. I pray blessing for them too, that they might be able to tell stories like this in their future. Lord, we ask your blessing on this offering that we're about to receive. Pray that you would take it and help it, use it to help us be a participating member of this association and help other churches be funded and blessed. That we might be good workers, Lord. Working on what you've called us to. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.